2005, two brothers hit the road to chase demons and fight monsters. After 15 years, they made television history and built a community of dedicated and lasting fans. I'm Rob Benedict. I played God, a.k.a. Chuck Shirley. And I'm Richard Spate Jr., and I played the Archangel Gabriel, a.k.a. the Trickster, a.k.a. Loki. And in later years, I stepped behind the camera to direct a bunch of episodes. And though we've been involved with the series for years and multiple seasons, we never sat down and watched the entire show. Until now. Rob and I are going episode by episode, watching each and every one. And we're diving in with the folks who made the show to bring you an insider's point of view and some great behind-the-scenes stories from the writers, producers, crew, and actors. And along the road, we're becoming fans. We've heard you saying it for years, and we finally get what all the excitement is about. We'll definitely be hitting on some spoilers, so you better be watching with us or look out. This show holds up after all this time and deserves to be watched and rewatched. Thank you for joining our journey and listening to Supernatural Then and Now. Hey everybody, I'm Rob Benedict. I'm Richard Spate. And this is Season 4, Episode 7 of Supernatural. It's the Great Pumpkin, Sam Winchester. Wait a minute. There's no comma in the title, so the title is actually, It's the Great Pumpkin, great pumpkin Sam, Sam Winchester. Winchester. Yeah. So Sam Winchester is the Great Pumpkin. Well, That's that right. answers the mystery for the Charlie Brown gang. Yeah, it could be any Great Pumpkin, but this is the Sam Winchester Pumpkin. Yeah. Hey, uh, if you like this kind of comedy, be sure to rate the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcast. If you like this kind of comedy, I'm concerned about the kind of comedy you like. <laughs> if you don't like this kind of comedy, then then don't be sure to rate the podcast. Yeah. Uh, well, Rich. Yep. Shall I get into it? Yeah, we should. I mean, let's start. I tell you what, let's mix it up. And this time you do the summary. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's almost Halloween. Sam and Dean go to investigate the death of a man who swallowed razor blades while eating Halloween candy. While searching his home, they find a hex bag, a sign that witches are the culprits. Which, which, which is the culprit? Uh, the witches. Which is what? No, witches, t- tall, black, pointy hat, witch. Oh, well, which, which, okay. With tall, black, pointy hat, which, which people witch? wear, which, which. The, 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 which, which, we're still deciding. <laughs> we just know that it's witches. And they're it's the not, well, Hold on. It's not mine. Don't don't point that finger. <laughs> it's at not me. your witch? It's not witches. <laughs> Maybe it's Rob's. Maybe no, it's, it's Wobs. It's not witches. It's Wobs. Uh, this episode should be called It's Not Witches, It's Wobs. <laughs> Later, a teenager dies at a Halloween party while bobbing for apples. The victim. <laughs> I love that your name is in there. Yeah. <laughs> Later, a teenager dies at a Halloween party while bobbing for apples. While Richarding for apples. The victim's friend, Tracy Davis, isn't sure what happened. The brothers discover a hex bag there, too. <laughs> Sam <laughs> Sam does some research and learns these deaths are not the results of witches' grudges. I don't, I don't have any grudges. But Wob's grudges. <laughs> Sam does some research and learns that these deaths are not the results of witches' grudges, but are part of a blood sacrifice to summon a powerful demon named Sam Hain who can summon additional things from hell. I knew his brother, Jerry Hain, <laughs> and he couldn't summon Jack Crap. Uh, one brother gets the talents, you know what I mean? Like like Matt Benedict is tall, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. He's your Sam Hain. Which Hain? <laughs> the boys suspect Tracy Davis and question her teacher, Don Harding. He reinforces their suspicions by telling them about occult symbols and violent drawings that Tracy uses in her work. Sam and Dean return to their motel room. Sam meets Castiel for the first time. Castiel is there with another angel named Uriel, who is kind of a jerk and described as a, quote, specialist. The angels tell the brothers that the arrival of Sam Hain is one of the 66 seals. Can we just call him Sam? There's another Sam in, in this show. I'm not sure if you... How about S. Hain? Or I could just pronounce it more like Sam Hain. <laughs> is one of the 66 seals, and if broken, brings Lucifer's arrival closer. Uriel wants to burn the town and everyone in it to the ground. Dean is stubborn and convinces them otherwise. Sam and Dean look for Tracy, but she's gone. They also suspect Don, the art teacher. They go to question him and in his desk discover children's bones, which were used in the hex bags. The brothers track him down and he is about to sacrifice Tracy, but they shoot him first. Bang. However, Tracy's in on it too. What? 
and completes the ritual, summoning Samhain. <laughs> <laughs> the demon possesses Don's dead body and kills Tracy. Don's dead body is a great band name. Go ahead. Yeah, super band name. The demon heads to the cemetery where he locks some partying teenagers in a crypt and summons ghosts and the dead to rise from their graves. Sam and Dean track him there. Dean disposes of the undead in the crypt like a champ. While elsewhere, Sam confronts Samhain and must use his powers to defeat him and send the demon back to hell. At no point did Sam Winchester go, Samhain? Sam Winchester? Oh my gosh. Is it (laughs) Sam, just Sam, or Samuel Hain? Isn't this, this the scene where Dean sees him use his powers? Yeah. Later, Sam is packing, and Uriel appears and tells him to stop using his powers. Stop it. He even threatens Sam. Meanwhile, Dean is chatting with Castiel on a park bench. Castiel tells Dean that this was all to test him and confesses that he has doubts about Heaven's plan. I heard that, Castiel. And scene. Um, oh, that's right. He's just getting personal towards you. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot to break down here. Let's do all on. Let's The good summary, I, I'm proud of you. Let's move on to the next chapter. And rich review, although it should be www. <laughs> wow, wow, and which review? What'd you think? You go first. I didn't like it. You didn't like it? No, not really. Huh. I I thought I thought this. I mean, I thought there's some there's some really cool like, stuff done cinematically, like the razor blade in the mouth, which was just the grossest thing ever. Yeah, and the astronaut kid was super funny, and there were some elements in there. I just never bought that people were that jacked up. Like, even like no one's ever seemed to be that jacked up by the death of people. Like the college kids weren't that messed up by the death of their friend. The, the mom was very composed in her conversation about. Her husband's death. I don't know. I just yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I felt it. like I they. That. I felt, and I don't blame the actors. I think it was directed almost with more of a com- comedic bent, or it was steered towards some of the levity, and it and the so the gravity didn't really land for me. Right, right. Well, I, for me, I felt the same way. I was like, this is not my favorite episode until the end. The whole last part really. One hundred percent. I felt the same way. I'm like, well, two thirds of this, or maybe half, is kind of flip and glib, yeah. and then it gets really dark and good. Yeah. Um, and I love Robert Wisdom. I like the URL character is cool. You know, I, Robert Wisdom is a really cool actor, I think. And so. Yeah. And he's, uh, he was in, uh, he has a really good part in Barry, which is uh, one of my favorite shows of the last couple of years. Yeah. He works all the time and he's just always very good. So I, I always enjoy him. And I um, did not know he was in this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I do agree with you. But again, and I was thinking it as it was going on. By the end, I, I just felt like that whole last part with Dean kicking ass and then cut to Sam using his powers. Like, full on, Sam has supernatural powers. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I, as a, as, a, as a person watching the show for the first time who's been on the convention circuit for a good 15 years, I don't know if I ever knew that Sam had that kind of power. I don't know if I ever saw that, witnessed that. Right. Well, you know now. So I was Dean in that scene going, what the? So yeah, that was, uh, that was something. Yeah, that really got me. And um, and I like, you know, uh, Sam meeting Castiel for the first time and realizing that angels could be dicks. And at the end, you know, Sam, Sam, you know, I mean, Castiel saying he's got doubts. I thought that was an interesting scene. So I just, I, yes, there was a lot of stuff that felt very CW. You know what I mean? Like right. the, the, the thing we love about this show is it it elevates where it's not just a CW show. It's, it's more cinematic than that. Right. Sometimes when it's not at its best, it just feels like, you know, just a TV show. Right. But but there were elements in this that I thought were really good and key for the overall big bigger arc. 100%. Um, I do have Rob's notes for this one. Just this one. Oh, hey everybody, it's Rob Stupid Notes. Nobody cares, Rob Stupid Notes. It's time for Rob Stupid Notes. Shoot me in the face. Never mind. Go, Rob. All right, you ready? Yeah. It's amazing, I wrote, that the FBI trick works every time. Well, we're FBI, so we're just going to hop onto the scene here. FBI. Well, I think we've had to, in the same way that eventually you have to realize at some point in your love of the Star Wars saga that stormtroopers can't shoot. Right. right, They have literally no aim whatsoever. Exactly. They they have to hire the blind to be stormtroopers. That's one of the requirements. Yeah. Yeah, I think we also have to just lean into the idea that the average American after a trauma becomes a moron and thinks that shaggy-haired, you know, 20-somethings could also be federal agents. Yeah, and that local police, no matter where you are, are just dumb and go. Yeah, and local police are always like, you're those boys from downtown? <laughs> you're the feds? Like, <laughs> yeah. they believe it. The cop yeah. will be age-appropriate, like 50, and 
Jared with his long hair, who wouldn't be in any governmental organization anywhere at any time. Um, yeah. I mean, and, Dean, and, Dean can kind of pass for it, but not Sam. And this is, you know, this is, this was one of the ones where like the, they, they like interrupt the local cop and the cops like, Oh, okay. And walked away. But sometimes that some occasionally be like, why would they, why would they send the feds to investigate a murder? And yeah, w- but then Wyoming. they let it go. This yeah. is a state matter. All right. I'll turn all the evidence over to you. And, and, and also, they don't bat an eye when they're like, uh, Agent Dingle, Agent Barry, uh, we're yeah, here to totally. talk to you. Like, totally. Dingle, Dingle and totally. Barry, huh? Right. That sounds right. I know. Attracts. I know. Like, I know. <laughs> totally. Test uh, and tickle, huh? Those yeah. are your names? Yeah. I also have written down that I thought it was funny when Dean says to Don, meets Don, and Don's like, uh, call me Don, my... My kids all call me Don. Everybody calls me call me Don, and, and Dean goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we get it, Don." Yeah, no, that was great. That was really great. I wondered if Jensen ad libbed that. Um, it felt kind of written to me, or maybe it was or maybe Don's line was overwritten, and Jensen added the, the Jensen part. Yeah, it was very funny. Yeah, I also thought they really went out of their way to make that art teacher an obvious suspect. You know I mean, oh, he yeah. was just—he's like, sure. "Yeah, we were rapping about her work." I'm like, "All right, right there, you're under arrest, rapping yeah. about her." work yeah college student yeah no thank you sir honestly there are parts that on the show that have come that the guest stars that i've seen before i'm actually on the show where i'm like i'm so glad i didn't because i could have gone out for that i could have auditioned for that that seems like a role that you could have played that guy you could have played so many of them i mean a lot of one-off stoners there's a lot of stuff that you could have played because a lot of times there's like a squeaky clean guy who then turns star you know or whatever yeah, and I can see you like getting the get. You're getting the the nerdy teacher. Yeah, I mean, we're the next episode. There's two characters you could have played in yeah. 408, which we're not going to yeah. talk about yet. But like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But I'm glad that I glad that I didn't audition for that. Yeah, you dodged a bullet there. Yeah, I also have written down that I should get residuals every time they say God. I feel like every time they. I think you should. That should happen for you in, in any production. You and George God. Burns should both get residuals. Yes. yes. Uh, and I also, and I don't remember when they said this. I just have written down fiddling. And Morgan your, Freeman, I guess. Morgan Freeman. And Morgan Freeman. Movies. Morgan Freeman. Yeah. I have written down fiddling your bone. I, I feel like at some point. So, you were so, going to make, you were going to try to do a, make a Rich Spade joke. No, no, I think Dean makes a Rich Spade joke at Sam's expense or something. You just, you just sit here and fiddle your bone or he says it to somebody. Are you sure that wasn't in your, after this show to do list? It I need might to go have fiddle, fiddle with some bones. Might have been, I might have been. Yeah, scratch that off. Uh, <laughs> all right. right. Right under, buy eggs, fiddle <laughs> with bones. <laughs> so those are my notes. So what? Uh, what were you? So what's your overall beard on this one? Uh, I, I, because it's not, a, it's not a train wreck by any means. Uh, it's just, it's very, I think you summed it up perfectly. It's very CW for the first 30 minutes and the last 20 minutes are pretty rock solid. And even the first 30 minutes have moments of cool, like, the shot of the razor blade in the mouth and the shot through the face mask of the, of the astronaut uh, kid. There's some really funny cinema work here. Um, the clever cinema work. I would say I'm giving to George Michael from the face era, you know, wow. so got facial hair. It's all uh-huh. there. It's just not, uh-huh. you gotta let it grow in. It's not, it's not really a beard. It's more of a scruff. Wow. Okay. But it's a good looking scruff. That's what I said. It's not, it's not a train wreck at all by any means. Okay. All right. Well, you know what I'm going to do? Maybe it's because I've got I've got a mustache going right now. I'm going to give it the Burt Reynolds. Nice, because I think what which, which, which era though? Like like seventies, 70s, 70s Reynolds. Because I think the it doesn't have a lot of beard, but the beard that it does have is it's good, t- it's top solid. quality stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's you know Burt Reynolds was a was a respectable actor. Eh, he was, but I think his mustache always kind of looked like a porn stash. Okay, Rich. Russ Hamilton. What about him? He's an old friend of ours because he served as the location manager for 14 of Supernatural's 15 seasons. Uh, His other TV credits include Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Blade the Series, and Debris. Please welcome our buddy, Russ Hamilton. Can you guys hear me okay if I just do do it like this? Yeah, 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 totally. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for inviting me, man. That's very cool. It's awesome. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, we're so glad Absolutely. to have you here, man. Like you're one of the original gangsters. Happy to have you. Yeah. So, when, when we started the beginning, how did you? What's your supernatural origin story? How did you get the job? 
Well, it was funny. I was I was like one of the first people hired on the show. And it was, um, I think Firewall was a movie that was wrapping out of the studio space. And I got a call from, I was in Alberta on holidays. I just finished up a show. And uh, Cyrus Yavna called me and asked me if I wanted to come and interview. And I was in Alberta at the time. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come back. And I came back and went right from the airport to meet him at the Sutton Place. And, uh, you know, kind of got, got hired on the spot. And God, it was like, like a, a month later, we were we were in the office while the other show was wrapping out, and it kind of like you know it, it never stopped. You no, know, when you say you met wow. them at the Sutton Place, who's that? Was it was it uh, Cyrus and Eric, or who? It was actually just Cyrus. I met at the Sutton Place. I, I literally landed. And I, I think it was on a Sunday. I drove straight from the airport to the Sutton Place Hotel. Uh, we walked around downtown, as you know, Cyrus was a, a producer at the time, and we just kind of talked about the show and what it was and what we're going to do. And I mean, it it's it, it all sounded exciting. It was it was going to be fun to be a part of and you know look at this like how, how many years later and i was still there so all i got yeah. was fatter and older no wait a minute so you did you know <laughs> cyrus from before i did not so do you, now how did how did you land on cyrus's radar do you know i actually don't i mean you know i've been i've been even back then i was doing my my my, my job for like at least uh you know 15 years and there was just a list out there and i guess he heard got my name from somebody and i, I mean i actually never asked how he got my name that's interesting and and, and then you were you were at the offices already shooting a movie. So you never even had to move your boxes. You were just there. No, we were, we were, it, it was in a different office I was in, but there was another movie just wrapping out of there when we started. So when we started Supernatural and, and you guys have been in the office space, and that, that entire upstairs office floor, we had like three offices. Everything else was the rest, the, the other show was still wrapping out. Oh. So we, we had our production manager and our uh, 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 production coordinator in one office. A- accounting wasn't even there yet. Jerry was still wow. working remotely. So can you describe for our, our audience what exactly, as location manager, what your job is? Okay, I mean, and this is fun because I've done this on the uh, the location tours uh, so many times, but our job as location managers is to manage the scouts, help find the locations, do the permitting process for everything. So we read the scripts, we break it down. For this one example, we, we needed a park and a classroom motel. So we come up with several options of each location for the production designer to look at, who therefore vets them. And we run them past the producer and the, and the director. And then we go through the permitting process. We literally take this baby from, from inception all the way through. Wow. So, yeah, we're part, we're, we're scouting, prepping, uh, shooting and wrapping all the way through. So I'm, I'm, I'm involved with, we are involved in locations with, with the permitting process, policing, uh, right. liaison with communities, everything. So let me ask you this. How right. much are you in lockstep with Jerry, the production designer? Because obviously he has ideas of what he wants to use the park in an example. He has ideas of what he wants the park to be visually for whatever's going on. You have your grab bag of, I've worked with these people. I know that we have access to some of these spaces. How, how closely do you guys work together? Uh, a location manager and a production I work very closely together. My job is to service um, initially uh, Jerry's vision, what he wants. And then we, we present that collectively to the director. So whatever Jerry wanted, if we showed him a, a park, for instance, and he said he wanted something more bucolic or more playgrounds so we would get him different options for parks so we kind of gave him like broad strokes of what what he would want and then we would hone in on what the look he wanted to present for the show do you ever have a director come in and go yeah that's not what i had in mind and then you have to sort of reconfigure only every time it seems like so, <laughs> you know, I, I i can tell you a million stories but like wow not related to supernatural how how, how that has happened but wow. but that's part of what like ever change you're always flying by the seat of your pants but as you work in longer, you, you have a big database. So, and the other part of it with Jerry, who was so good at figuring out uh, pairings. So like, you know, we need to shoot one day and that day thought, well, page count wise, the park in the school. So he wanted a park close to a school or, or this. He was, he was always very good at like, like a very good tactician with trying to figure out like what would pair together, which would make the show look the best, but then the locations wouldn't be on the opposite side of the city. So it's not just mm-hmm. about the look; it's about servicing the, the budget as well. And and I always thought Jerry was great at that. Did you know when you when you took this job that it was going to be this much work, like a show on the road and making Vancouver look like America and all these other things? I don't, I don't, I don't think anybody did. Surely I didn't. You know, I um, you know, it's I wasn't there. There's all these stories. We weren't planning on coming back for season two for you know just for personal reasons. And, you know, but we did, but nobody, I don't think anybody could see that this show would take on the life that it took on. It was such a fun ride to go through it and the relationships and friendships you build over time. And when you run into people still to this day who worked on the show, we hadn't seen in years. It's, this is, this is a legacy show in this town. And and it's, it's still spoken about to this day. That's awesome. Yeah, Rob Rob brings up a good point. You guys 
certainly your department, there's plenty of shows out there that, that would have at least had a couple of home bases, like a precinct and that kind of thing. Supernatural, until you guys had uh, the men of letters, you really didn't have a home base. So, I mean, you guys were working every week from scratch, like you're making a movie. You're basically start, you're finding nonstop locations for the show. Because it's like, to Rob's point, it's got to be a different city. You can't repeat the same space. That had to be incredibly challenging. And I guess rewarding at the same time. It was challenging. And yes, very rewarding. I mean, some of the sets we decided we had to build just because the action, for instance, Jerry's Jerry's legendary motel rooms that they, I don't know how many hundreds of motel rooms he built to make them look different in our stages. But yeah, it was trying to find new locations all the time. And we were always challenged with both within our department and from outside our department, not to go back to the same places. But, but I will always wanted to find new places to film that we hadn't filmed before in the show. And that got, obviously over the years got more and more challenging, but that, that is the fun part. That's the, that's the part that drives you in locations. It, it's to try and find new locations, film every show Every episode, every movie that you're on, every show that you're working on, just it's always trying to find something new and exciting, but yet still, you know, you still get what you need to get. And and you know, we're everybody who works in locations on Supernatural is very proud of what we did. Oh yeah, that's yeah, great. I would imagine. And so if the, so, there's a dumb question, kind of an obvious answer, but if it's a scene in a set that we're shooting in on our set, that's just not that's you don't have to worry about that, right? You 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 look at a script and you go, okay, what are the the non-set locations, things we're shooting outside of what our pre-built sets are going to be. Yeah. That's where you come in. Yeah. And then we, with, with Jerry and with production, we decide what locations, for instance, we, we have to film, you know, everybody has like a set schedule. So you want to do five days in a row and three days on, on the studio. So you have to decide what sets you're going to build. And once again, that's the first ADs, the production uh, production manager, production designer, producer trying to figure out which sets we're going to build. And often you would have to build sets, i.e. when there's like lots of blood and gore, which there wasn't supernatural. So you ended up building a lot of uh, a lot of bedrooms, bathrooms, obviously the, his fantastic motel rooms. But yeah, it was always finding something new, which was, and then we still had some recurring, like there's some of the parks we went back to that you can make them look different. We went back yeah. to some road systems, uh, the DOD lens, just because you could always make it look different out there. Yeah. yeah, and then you yeah. Did you have especially from Supernatural? Do you have a horror story that where you became the hero like where last second somebody had to cancel. Last second it got washed away by a flood and you're like, "Oh my gosh," and you have to scramble and find something else. Was that a common occurrence? It, you know, it, it, it wasn't super common because we always did our homework ahead of time, but but of course those surprises are always going to happen. I think the one time when we did have a problem that we we were I don't remember what season it was. But we wanted to build a cabin close to the studio, and it was Friday afternoon when the the uh, park sports said, "No, you can't do it." Oh, so yeah, and the, and we wanted to start prepping it on the Monday, and so we were out scouting on the weekend, uh, looking for a park for it. And in, in that interim, this is the best part: it also snowed. So now we're now walking down these roads to find this park that I heard about in like like two feet of snow, and and trying to find this this clearing that wasn't even there yet because it was covered in the snow. And we had to bring in snow plows to do it. Um, you know, or one of the other great stories we enjoyed was we were filming in the Strathcona, uh, uh, one of the older uh, uh, neighborhoods in, in Vancouver, beautiful Victorian style houses, beautiful stuff. And we filmed in there in day one of the episode, and then we had to go back for a second unit. Now, in that interim, it snowed in Vancouver. So now overnight, we had to clear this street of all the snow. So now driving down through this, imagine driving through a residential neighborhood where you're um, there's snow covered. There's like six foot snow drifts. Then you round the corner and there's not a snowflake on a tree or the street or anything. Yeah. That's oh hilarious. You know? Yeah. The, wow. the, the best one we did though, was, uh, there's an old Western town based on TV show by the same name called border town. Now it was raining while we were filming there and it was, we were doing our prep and the road was going to flood and we had to get out. So me and my sister are now walking down the road, looking to rent hip waders to walk down this road, that flooded when we got the crew off to find a road that went down the back of a border town to, to, to get our, our equipment. And so we had to find overnight, we had to find new, new truck parking for the circus, for the work trucks and construction came in and fixed a bridge. So we could access our set that we had. And this was all done overnight. Oh my God. You know, and and, and wow. we're, we're walking through like these trails trying to find this old logging road that was the back access that had been used in, in decades. That is such a wow. piece of trivia that no one watching a show would ever think about. Like, you know, the, the logistics of making it even to the set, you know? 
yeah, it, it's always those funny little like because we all on here. We this is what we do for for a living for our career, and it's just it's like okay, we we lost a location. Okay, let's go find one. We can spend all our time like running around. It's like okay, so now our road's flooded. Okay, so let's find another road. You know, it's just, but it's just, it becomes matter of fact, but it, it takes a, a certain person to work in film that can just solve those problems or at least try them, try to solve them. Yeah. You know, in, in this episode we're, we're talking about, it was uh, directed by Charles Beeson. Do you remember working with, with Charles? Love working with Charles. He was such a, a great man to work with. He was so, so low key and so easygoing and just, he was always a pleasure. And, and I do, and it's, I, I, I got to straight up, I'm, I'm reading from the, location bible here which you can't really see it but that's like a what? binder wow. of every location we've ever filmed in wow oh my god cool yeah uh, you know and it well and this is something that because we keep location contact lists for everywhere so right. like i go back and i watch things and when when somebody even just last uh last month they asked me where we shot a certain episode and i could open my binder up and tell them exactly where the scene was, was taken because somebody who worked on his show had referenced a certain episode of supernatural wow Amazing. oh wow but but you know, this is this goes back to like what two thousand and eight, and I don't remember what like I don't remember eight p.m. last night now, let let alone two thousand and eight. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Now, uh, did the script ever change to accommodate practical locations being closer to each other? I I think that that I mean obviously with this one I can't say specifically, but I, it would be more about dialogue and stuff about trying to write it, and that that goes way outside my 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 scope of what I would do. But they would tell me what they wanted to find. So with this one, for yeah. instance, the classroom, believe it or not, was was I remember it very clearly because of, of also where we filmed that for this art classroom. It, they never had filming before, so they wanted to park close to that classroom. So that ah. changed the look of the park because they needed to be right there because it was right. it was shot on the same same two days. So right. they needed to park right there. So they very much changed the look of the park. But so we we were just challenged with finding a park as close as we possibly could to that that area, which once again that wasn't that hard because there's a park right there at the same same property as this was shot. Oh, so, cool! But it, it it was very much a different look of a park than what they wanted. So right when you see a uh, uh, Cassie and, and Dean sitting on on the the bench talking, that was the park right outside of the uh, the Surrey Arts Center where where we shot the classroom. Amazing, interesting. I love that kind of thing. And then what, what were the challenges of keeping the, making Vancouver become the U.S.? I mean, that, that, that's something I think about all the time with this because it's so specific. It's not like we're just randomly in the U.S. It's like it's this town yeah, in Chippewa Iowa. Yeah, Falls or, you know. Yeah, exactly. And then we've got to have a street, a house exterior that looks like that. Did you, obviously you must have gotten much better as it went along. You're like, oh yeah, I know how to do that. Yeah, the, the, obviously there's growing pains in the first season of the show. I mean, once again, it goes back to the art, the art department, the production designer telling us, like, we, we do our research, we, the, the tell a town, so then you do a little bit of a Google scouting, as it were, of the town to find out what the architecture looks like in that town. And you, then you just find the, you know, the areas where, where that kind of like structure works, either houses or buildings, wherever, whatever the case might be. But sometimes like we went out of the zone, like you would go, we, uh, the farthest we went, I believe it was to Agassiz and shot on Agassiz. We need this super small town. We took over the entire town and wow. like, yeah, to go, and that's fun to do stuff like that. Yeah. Amazing. Just hold that thought. We're coming right back. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. And now back to the episode. Yeah, th there's a family house at the beginning of this episode. And I always think about, like, it's got to be hard to make traditional, like, family homes feel different episode to episode. Like, even to go, oh, well, yeah, in the, the previous episode, we had another family house. We can't have it look like that. You know, you have that other challenge. I, I, I got to tell you, Was it, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down there, Robbie. It's amazing what you guys pulled off. I mean, you're talking about yeah. over 300 episodes. Rob and I com were combined involved in, you know, 50 of them. It's, and I don't, I never saw the same thing twice. And even if I did, you'll say we shot over here to the right side, shoot on the left side, Rich, and no one will know, you know, and we would just be right. creative like that all the time. It was so incredible because the show looks so different episode to episode. And, you know, once again, I, I keep saying that this goes to, to Jerry Wanick is of what he did just to constantly, uh, even if we reuse use the location, to, to, to know what we shot there, the area that we shot. And then we would all work together to make sure that, that we did make it look different. 
Sometimes you might put up a fake facade or a fake wall or change some trim just to make it look different or you wouldn't want to see the same street. Right. Like even the street looks different with the time of the year. If you shoot in the summertime to when you shoot it in, in the fall, the street looks totally different. Right. I also think, you know, I think it's a really cool component that, that people don't think about. And I know they don't think about it because I had never thought about it until I started directing, which was you also have to factor in the vision of the director and Jerry in, in this way from an engineering standpoint. Because I remember wanting to shoot somewhere and wanting to put a crane base and you were like, you can't put a crane base. There's a septic tank under here. Like you have to know yeah. those things in advance to go like, if you're shot, if you're hell bent on using a crane, we've got to find a new location because of the engineering of this space. You know, and that's kind of what, what we do. We have to like, we have to do our homework before we go in to know that, that, you know, it's there, there's a perfect set. And if it, it's the perfect set that you could ever hope to have, but you can't service it, it's all of a sudden not a perfect set. Right. You know, so we have to think about like, but that also follows us. It, it's to make sure that we don't show you something you love that you can't have. So right. we have to do our homework to know power lines, septic fields, you yeah. know, wherever we might be, where you can and can't dig all these things. But that, that's us doing our homework ahead of time to make sure that we service the, the director's vision of what he wants. We all want to be, we, we don't, I mean, nobody wants to say no. No, but it was, you know, it was fascinating to me, the level of detail that you guys already had on hand when we were yeah. scouting and, and to say, I want this. Well, you can't do that because X, Y, and Z. And it wasn't, it wasn't killing the dream. It, it's the opposite. It was fulfilling the dream by going, if you do A, B, and C, you can do that. If you're, if you can't do D, E, and F because of logistic reasons and you'd find a way to make it work, right? right? It was always so interesting because those things you just don't think about if you're just an actor showing up to land on your mark you don't know what it took to get that space at to that moment you know what i mean you just have no clue you know i and i think that that's that once again that's what we love about what we do it's being a location i love what i do i never want to do anything else i don't want to move up i've been offered like promotions i'm like i love what i do right. i love the challenge and it's 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 just so enjoyable for me to go and do things and there there's times when we've worked literally all night long to prepare a set for, for, you know, the crew to come in and shoot. And, and wow. it's so easy to, to just to kind of not realize the amount of, of, of work that goes into it. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the amount of knowledge you have to have, like, you know, you could be a city surveyor and a meteorologist and yeah. you, know, you have to think about all these things. Like, is, is it going to snow? Is there a septic tank underneath the street? Is there, you know, and you mentioned the power uh, lines. I mean, it's just things like that. Like yeah. you're going to do a, Crane shot, you're like, no, you're not. You have to be a certain distance from that power pole. Like, it, it's so cool. Yeah. It's, it's so fascinating. And fulfilling the director's vision. In the, in this script that we're talking about, the uh, there's a mausoleum scene that I'm pretty sure was was built on a stage. But is there a, 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 a when you're reading the script, is there a, a moment or, or is there logistical where you go, okay, this this we're gonna have to find. I'm gonna have to find a mausoleum for this, or do they go, no, 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 we're gonna build that on a stage. Is that all? part of pre-production it's all part of pre-production and we kind of know what we can and can't do a, a good a good example when we first started this show there was a lot of uh, gas stations in the middle of nowhere uh, motels in the middle of nowhere and motels and gas stations don't exist in the middle of nowhere because of, of just real estate properties here you don't nothing is in the middle of nowhere anymore so we would build so many of the gas station facades we would build so many of the of the, uh, the the motel facades or you just have to, have to shoot in a particular way a good example like mausoleums mm. you know we would have to if we wanted the scope of a mausoleum example exterior we would do build an exterior mausoleum and then as soon as you enter inside the door it would go on a stage and that mausoleum specifically because the action inside the mausoleum you wanted to control it yeah right. i was thinking about that when you were talking about your decision the team decision your decision jerry's decision you guys are talking and you're like, well, this is a set or this is a location. And there is a lot of situations in which those are married together. You're out the door of the of the Jerry set into the world of the Russ set, you know, the Russ location. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you, you think of like the the the, the barn where uh, Castiel first showed up. Right. We wanted to find something iconic because of the character. So we were looking and looking and looking. And then we just decided that we found this uh, great barn, which we loved. But we were having so many problems because of, believe it or not, barn owls. And we were having so many problems with when we could access the barn, what we could do oh, wow. because of oh. barn owls. So we ended up building the interior barn where, where Castiel showed up. Ah! Oh, wow. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, wow, that's a great fun fact right there. Yeah. Right, barn owls. Wow. Or the, wow. the, my favorite ever was there's a, um, a foreshore park, which was close to our stage. And we wanted to do a scene there, which we were denied because of the time of year. And her, the, the quote was because of nesting raptors. So obviously I started thinking like, what? So like we were in prehistoric times, there's like dinosaurs nesting there. But no, the, because these ecologists took it so serious, nesting raptors. That's hilarious. So we couldn't we couldn't film inside this park because of nesting raptors. That's 
awesome. Oh my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. And I have right out of Jurassic Park. Right to this very to this day, I still have a hard time when anybody says raptors me just because of that. Because it was that was and that was the same thing. So we we went to a different park just uh-huh. because that were, where there were no nesting raptors or barn owls or anything else. That's wow. hilarious. I mean, I guess that's one again, Rob, you talked you were listing all the jobs Russ has to have. I guess conservationist is another one, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, well, well the the end of season one, um, when we didn't know where we picked up, the car flipped over in the ditch. There was uh, there, it was a frog habitat we wanted to flip flip the car over. So we had to protect this ditch with metal plates and everything else and go through all, like tons of studies just to be able to do what we wanted to do because of these minuscule frogs that may or may not be in the ditch on the side of the road where that was. Amazing. Wow. Amazing. That's crazy. That's amazing. It really is. Did you have, after of, of the 15 of, of all the seasons, did you, uh, do you have like a favorite location? I'm sure you have a handful. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that is so tough. It's and I, and I was thinking about this yesterday. One of my favorite locations. It would have been when we shot the black and white episode with the, the Bob Singer directed. Yeah, which was so much fun to shoot. And and there was a an old um well not old it was it was just it, it's a location that's no longer there. It's and I can't remember the name. It was in Richmond, but you know you sh- you drive by these places for years and years and years and never go in, never see it, never think about it. And then you go in and shoot these location and it was just fun because that, that was a fun episode to work on. I knew that this built this property with this full property was being taken down. It was during a Chinese lantern festival. So we had to work with, with their organization to get what we wanted to do so we could get our shots we needed. It was just so like it was so intense, but yet so enjoyable and so much fun to work on. I love that yeah. one. God, which other one it was like. There, there, there are so, so, so many um, locations and episodes that I, that I enjoy working on. It's really hard to pick one, you know. Yeah. Every sure. one of them had had, had a, a super big challenge. Yeah, yeah. Well, you did such a great job. I mean, it's the the locations on this show were iconic. You know, you're such an important piece of this puzzle, putting this show together. So it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Yeah, man. Buddy. Really, well, really thanks, cool. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. And you know? like to, to Rob's point, you were also just. I have to say, it's an interesting Russ story that's, I think, of value to this podcast, is that Russ was also, not only is he in charge of finding locations, he was also in charge of hazing new directors. And you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. So he, oh my. he would always create, so Russ would, at the end of the, te- of the big tech scout, Rob, where everybody, all the department heads and everybody's going out in a giant bus to see everything and, and discuss logistics at every location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... You get when you get, there's a there's a lunch obviously pre COVID but you would all then go to a, yeah. a restaurant and it would be pre reserved and a lot of times yeah under the guidance of uh, Russ and Jim Michaels pre appetizered up you walk into tables full of food and stuff and at some point for the new guy Russ does something weird with your order and and I I can speak for mine I know you did this to everybody and I, I kind of feel like I I I'm part of the club it was it was a flattering moment but they arrived I wanted. Those potato sticks that come at the, I don't remember where we were, Browns or somewhere. Joey's. Joey's. Now these like, they look like egg rolls with their potato. And I'm like, yeah, I'll get us an order of that. They brought out, look like a Lincoln log tower of about 40. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? And and I'm like, I, I'm so baffled and confused. And then you're, and then their guys are like, ha ha. And then you're, you're sitting there with a the giant <laughs> thing of food. And I realized they did that for everybody. Like, what are some of your more memorable gags for directors in that regard? Okay, so you were the first one ever to get a double gag. Because if you remember, you ordered the, the deep dish apple pie at the yes. back, which was basically, it was like a pizza pie apple, but we got them like a dozen. So we came with like, it looked like a stack of flapjacks. It was about like 12 inches. Tall. Yeah, dude, I got, oh like a, I, got, I got it from the right and the left. Yeah, he was the wow. first one and the last one ever to get a double. Um, wow. I think with uh, another fun one that we had when uh, God, I can't remember who was who was, and it, it didn't have to be a director. It, would, it could just be anybody. We would just I would just pick out out of the oh randomly. okay okay, but just just I, you would do the director, so it was fun. But sometimes you I, you just wanted to do it, and I, I'll tell you the funniest part. I, I sometimes got in trouble for doing it because of how much it would cost. But yeah, I was gonna say it was yeah it was you know but but I, I took on the chin for that one. One of my favorites was our production manager at the time ordered um, uh, chicken and ribs. And I, I made them give a whole roasted chicken and stuff two racks of ribs inside the chicken. <laughs> was that Craig? Yeah, that was Craig. And it was this disgusting pile of food. It was horrible. Um, <laughs> there were so many. There's another one where Jensen, when he directed his first episode, and we he ordered a salad. But then I, I, I ahead of time went and bought this three-tier pie rack. 
And I just, we brought it to the kitchen and we loaded it up with salads and this. And it became this most disgusting like food tower you've ever seen. Just food dripping off of it. <laughs> another Halloween when I had, I had a skull with that, uh, a hand with a skull and a pumpkin in it. And it was, I think it might have been John Showalter. He got his uh, his food in, in this this skull hand. That's awesome. And we, it was both that tall. But it was the presentation. And it, it became like the food punk. It became tradition that we did. It, and it was just fun. It was a challenge. But it, it also built us as a family. Yeah. That was kind of our right. thing. We, we all, it was some of the people were waiting for it. And they didn't know who was going to be next. But it was fun. And I really enjoyed it. It was great. It, it was, I didn't know anything about that again until I got on that side of it. And I was like, oh my God. Somebody told me, and I think it was maybe Tom Wright you did too, who ordered like, just wanted a bowl of soup. So they brought this novelty, massive, you know, cauldron out and set in yes. front of like it was taller than than the director. Uh. That was that was uh, my my um, uh, silver fruit bowl from home that I brought, and, and I emptied the fruit and I cleaned. It. I took the kitchen, and that was fourteen servings of soup. Oh my god! Oh my That's god! So. And then we yeah, and it, it became, it was just, like I said, that was a fun, that was one of the fun things. And it did, it became a tradition. And then you always challenge yourself to try and do it better. But then uh-huh. every now and again, the accountants would come to me with how much it was and why it was. Or, <laughs> accountants <laughs> never appreciate comedy. Come on now. <laughs> That's why I would bring them leftover food and leftover snacks from the bus to buy them off. There you go. So that they uh, wouldn't complain quite as much. But smart. I, I do remember like, why is there, why, why is there like 14 orders of soup? But <laughs> oh for, one, for table, for table 12. Um, <laughs> Russ, thank you so much, man. Yes. Thanks for everything you did for the show. Thanks for being here and being a part of this conversation. Hey, it's awesome, guys. Thank, thank you. Truly, it was it's a pleasure, and thank you for inviting me. And uh, you know, let's stay in touch. Absolutely, we'll do it again, Absolutely. man. We'll have you back. Hey, there's Jensen. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Uh, but we need to pull over for a second for some messages, and I got to take a leak. Thanks for supporting Supernatural then and now, and now. Back to the show. I, I, you know, I love that, Rich. Uh, this is what I love about this podcast. We bring people on to help, you know, make the cake. And that's a, a job that's so key and important to this production. And it's great to have him, you know, as a voice, tell us h- how so he does it. It's so fascinating, man. And I don't think people know because you and I have been, we're veterans of the industry and we don't know. Like we're learning in these conversations. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing how many outstanding professionals it takes to put one episode up on his feet you, you see the pretty people yeah. on camera and and that's where the the eyes stop but the, the truth is mm-hmm. way before they hit their mark uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people have done a lot of work to make it possible and it starts with the locations it starts with finding the spot yeah and and russ has been on the pointy end of that bayonet since uh episode uh, two so it's really awesome yeah yeah and now it's time for Mythology. Mythology, mythology, mythology. Sam Hain. Sam who? Sam Hain. Okay. Sam Hain is really more of a pagan festival or holiday rather than a specific demon. A primarily Celtic tradition, it took place at the midpoint between the fall equinox and the winter solstice. Hey, weird question. I always thought it was Celtic. Is it Celtic? Boston <laughs> Celtics, but then... Yeah, I guess you're right. I don't know. I guess it is Boston Celtic. Boston Celtics. When I see it with a K, I say Celtic. You've I, never I, seen I'm, it with a K. Sometimes. Look, I think Ruth says Celtic. I think it could be either. I just, for I, I think the Celtics. Well, tomato to mustache, you know? Yeah. The end of the harvest season was celebrated and animal sacrifices were made. The Celts, or as Rich would say, the Celts. Meaning uh, animals gave up smoking? Like, like the animals were like, all right, animals. Yeah. Yeah, we got to give up something. Yeah. I'm going to give up going grr. You know, <laughs> I'm a I'm a tiger, and I should be going grr a lot, yeah. but I'm not going to go grr. Yeah, the cows uh, are like, you know what? No more grass. <laughs> uh, dogs, what are you giving up? Unconditional love. Okay, so dogs will no longer just blindly love their owners. That's good. That's right. Break that habit. The Celts believed that the barrier between the spirit world and the living world was the thinnest during this time. So many practices from it are believed to have evolved into Halloween traditions, including Rich. The Celts or the Celts would dress as monsters or animals to avoid being kidnapped by spirits or fairies. They carved faces in turnips. Oh, that old trick. (laughs) (laughs) Pranks or tricks were common. Let's rewind the tape to they carved faces in turnips. How the hell did that come about? So that's why... 
That's why you use turnips at the spade house. Yeah. I guess that's the idea of where we get carving pumpkins. Yeah, yeah. I but would. carving faces and turnips is a lot less a lot less bang for your buck than that one. <laughs> How do you even do it? They originally used to whittle imagery into grains of rice. <laughs> to ward away evil spirits. Yeah. To ward away evil spirits with very good eyesight. <laughs> Christianity tried to reframe Samhain as a Christian holiday, which became All Saints Day on November 1st. Christianity's always trying to rebrand, man. Rebrand, they took the pagan fall ritual and made it Christmas Day. They took I know. spring rituals and made it they, Easter. They, they took Easter and made it Nike. They took the, the Satan's all burning everybody's an asshole and will die a fiery death day and made it Rod's birthday. Um, <laughs> always doing things like that. However, many of the pagan traditions brought over to the U.S. from Irish and Scottish immigrants, survived to become All Hallows' Eve and eventually Halloween on, on October 31st. Is that what Ruth calls it, All Hallows' Eve, or does she call it Halloween? She calls it Halloween. Oh, American ever. But she calls New Year's Eve Hogmanay. What? In Scotland, New Year's Eve is the celebration. It's called Hogmanay. Hogmanay? Uh-huh. Meaning, what does that mean? I don't know. They just called Hogmanay. I don't know. Oh, you come on over for Hogmanay? Like, like for you, it'd be hog many drinks, <laughs> and you would have you hoarded all the cocktails over in your corner of the room. Hogmany, it's a celebration. Hogmany is the Scots word for the last day of the old year, and is synonymous with the celebration of the new year in the Scottish manner. Uh, Hogmany, yeah. There you go. Um, anyway, back to our episode here. All Hallows Eve, October thirty first. Ideas around Samhain being a specific demon didn't serve us until the nineteenth and twentieth centuries. Ah, it's a more recent idea. Yeah, there you go. And now it's time for... You probably don't know this, Richard, but the title is a reference to the perennial classic, It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. I had no idea. I know you didn't. Well, you see, I was raised in a cave. The brothers used the aliases Agent Getty and Agent Lee. Getty Lee was the lead singer and bass player and keyboardist of the rock trio... Rush, Rush, a band that hails from Toronto, Canada. Great band. Yes. Great, great singer. Dean also uses the alias Agent Seeger, which is a reference to Bob Seeger. Nice. I guess that means Sam used the alias Silver Bullet Band. That's right. <laughs> um, Jensen Ackles and Ashley Benson both were on Days of Our Lives, but not at the same time. Uh -huh. The fake school record of the character Tracy Davis has her mother's first name listed as Mary Jane. That's a weed joke. That's it? That's just a, just, just a weed joke? I think. Or is Mary Jane Davis somebody we should... Huh, just a quick weed joke for everybody. Yeah, right in your huh. wheelhouse. All right. The Wallace family, the couple in the opening, is a reference to the character Lindsay Wallace, one of the children saved by Laurie Strode in John Carpenter's Halloween. Man, that's a deep cut. I would never have gotten that. That's big time deep cut. Uh, the art Sam uses to explain Sam Hain. Oh, wait a minute. Which Sam uses to explain? The art Sam Hain uses to explain Sam Hain? Or is it the art Sam Winchester? Winch or is it the art, art Sam Smith, the actress who played oh. Mary Winchester, uses to explain or Sam Hain? Is it the art that Sam Smith, the pop singer from England, uses? Or is it the art that Uncle Sam, America itself, uses to explain Sam Hain? That's it. Well, let's, let's go with that. <laughs> the art Sam uses to explain Sam Hain is by artist Gustave Dore and is an illustration of Dante's Inferno. That's right. Well done. Well said. Lots of fun facts in that. Oh, lots facts. of fun facts and a lot of mythology. Somebody had a couple of days off and could get it all done. Well, you know, just as a wrap up, I, look, it's, it's, at the end of the day, it's supernatural. It's super fun to watch even the episodes that uh, might not get the full beards are still yeah, it's fun. not i mean you can't everything can't get a full beard in life man that's a lesson for all you kids out there yeah so when you uh if, if you're upset at us just remember that it was rich's idea exactly well good job rich good stuff yeah pretty good rob oh really i, I said good job <laughs> i mean i would say great work rob's mustache adequate work the rest of rob's body that's fair this episode of Supernatural features Jared Padalecki as Sam Winchester, Jensen Ackles as Dean Winchester, and Misha Collins as Castiel. Guest stars included Robert Wisdom, Don McManus, Ashley Benson, and Jean-Luc Bilodeau. It's the Great Pumpkin, Sam Winchester, was written by Julie Siege. 
directed by Charles Beeson. Well, that explains, I didn't even realize it was directed by Beeson. No wonder yeah. I kept complimenting the camera work and the shots. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah, the uh, that shot inside the mouth was just uh, and and the, I crazy. thought the shot inside the kid's uh, mask was so, just made that joke so much funnier. Oh yeah, editing by Tom McQuaid, music by Jay Greska, executive produced by Eric Kripke and Robert Singer. The original broadcast of this episode featured the following songs: "Just as You," wait, "Just as Through with You" by Nine Days, and "Bomb Diggy" by Triple Seven. This episode originally aired on October thirtieth. 2008, one day for All Hallows Eve. Yeah, or as they call it in Scotland, All Hallows Eve. You said it with a Scottish accent, so I wasn't sure. My mind was pretty bad. This episode of Supernatural Then and Now was hosted and executive produced by Richard Spate Jr. and Rob Benedict. Produced by Stephen Hine, written by Stephen Hine and Hayda Holscher. And edited and associate produced by Trey Booty. What? Music provided by Tim Wynn. The episode was recorded with the help of Sonic Fuel Studios. This podcast is from Story Mill Media. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at SPN Then and Now. And become a member of the podcast at www.patreon.com slash SPN Then and Now. And Stephen, thank you so much for you've been enjoyed to listen to and talk to. Oh, wait, you really said nothing. Phil's a great show. will be like, and that was why that was probably the hardest day we are recording in progress. Like, <laughs> and, I, and I'll never speak of that again. Recording in progress. <laughs> Maybe it's Sam Hine. That's Steve Hine. You're giving, oh, you're, right. you know what? It'd be fun if, Steve, if Sam Hine and Steve Hine would be college roommates. <laughs> ba -da -ba -ba -da, ba -ba -da. Hey, Rob, I made a dumb mistake here. Ah, oh, Rich, shut up. That was a great, you made a dick joke. Ah. Steve Hine typed things wrong. Ah. Steve Hine just held up a sign and said, Rob's dumb notes. Even Steve Hine's got a cue card ready. And Steve Hine privately texted me, like, points, because we were just waiting to see how deep into the podcast we'd go before you started talking about your mustache. It's all you can talk about these days. That is and, so not true. And you got there. That's um, so not true. It's all you can talk about. That's not true. You're lying. Your mustache? You're, Look, you're sometimes lying. I, talk about, I talk about your mustache because I know, well, Rob's going to open with a mustache monologue, so I might as well get there. For those who are listening at home or in the car or wherever you listen, um, if you're listening to The Office, don't listen to this part. This is for people listening at home or the car. Rob has a mustache. It's a darn fine mustache. And uh, I, when I turned on the Zoom today, Steve was like, oh, you got the porn stash. Um, Story Mill Media. Story Mill Media. 